on a mission, on a quest, on a search for discovering the truth. Join us on our journey to discovering a savior. All right, welcome to your church friends podcast. I'm Chris. I'm Yurdu. So have you ever played the lotto? Yeah. Oh, okay. You just went right for it. I thought I was going to throw out the like, I know the lotto's gambling and we can't play games of chance thing, but... No, I make a pastor salary. Yeah. <laughs> you have to play the lotto. <laughs> no, I've done, and I don't oh, know where hilarious. you're going with it, but like, I've just never had luck with any of that stuff. Yeah. I remember even being a kid and my grandpa like, here, come do the scratchers mm-hmm. with me. <laughs> and uh, my grandpa chose, it just reminds me of, uh, I think it's Abe Simpson, when he's mm-hmm. like, the shakes are working for me. <laughs> Yeah, that's great. Yeah, so I'll do it with him. Yeah. I never once won yeah. any of this. I was like, Grandpa, stop giving it to me. I'm losing you money. I didn't understand how it worked. I was like, I'm not mm-hmm. I'm not good. You're not lucky. I'm not lucky. Never won any of the lotto stuff. I never even got like five bucks back. I remember one time I was in a mall and we were walking by a, a cart and it was just like, I've just given up on things at this point. But I was like, whatever, I'll stop. I'll get one. So I get like a $5 scratcher and win 20 bucks. Mm. This is the first time in my life. I'm lucky right now. I'm hot. So I take that 20 and I buy four more and I lose it all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. So, yeah, I've, I've I've done at various points and I know that I shouldn't because yeah. of such stories. So yeah. at most, it's more Delilah or a relative will like, go buy a lotto ticket. Yeah. I'm like, sure. I don't even know how it works. I just go in like, can I get one of the things? Like, I don't pick my own number. I, go, I don't know what's happening. Yeah. Uh, I, I asked because uh, the holidays... Um, we did like a lot of white elephant games mm-hmm. and you know, white elephant is usually like the crappy present passed around still tradition. Did you do the fake scratchers? So people think they won. No, oh, should have. Uh, but Next year. we, there was a few that were scratchers and like Remy really likes playing scratchers. I think she's just like scratching the stuff off. Uh, but she would get like, I could win up to like this much money. And then, yeah, it's the same thing. I think at best you won another ticket. Mm-hmm. Um, but like the mega million and stuff like that, I've done that myself, you yeah. know, because uh, I think for all of us, when we do that, we always think about like what I could do with this money if I win. Like you said, you have a pastor salary. I guess so do I now. Uh, so there's always like, oh, if I won the lotto, what would I do? Uh, when I was, wasn't was working as a pastor, there's definitely times of like, I would buy this company and then just burn it all down. Like, <laughs> you know, not with people in it, but just like, just burn the building. So Elon Musk. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> uh, but then there's on the, like the more softer side would be like, I'd go buy an island, my own private island. I could just go sit at, I would buy houses in all these cities that I love to go to across America and just have a place that we could be at. And, you know, there's always the dreaming and it, and it really is kind of like, this would change my life. I don't, I don't know how much the lottery is nowadays. Oh, it's massive. Okay, because I just think like, oh, buying houses, doing all this stuff. It's just like, I feel like in Southern California, like, cool, I won a couple million dollars from the lotto. I bought half a house. <laughs> <laughs> I bought a toaster. Like after the government yeah. takes their cut and just like. Was I put gas all? in my car. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, I, I think I saw it the other day. We were walking in Walmart and it was at. 230 million okay and i only noticed it because the line of people it wasn't like a you know where you go to a liquor store and you buy the ticket it was like the little kiosk thing okay there was like a line of people there and i was like wow there's a lot of people buying lotto tickets oh that's why it's it's up there 
Yeah. Um, 230 is where in California you could play with buying a house. See, then it always comes down to think of like, all right, so I'm supposed to give at least 10% of this to God. Mm-hmm. But is that after the government takes their cut? Or before. Or before. And then you just get the voice of just like, is that how you want God to treat you? <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, okay, fine. Yeah. I'll give him 10% gross. And it's like, oh, you're only giving him 10%. It's like, all right. Yep. So pretty much I just won the lotto. It's all going to the church. It's all going back to God. Uh, but I, I mean, for a lot of people, I think it is that sense of like lottery will change my life forever. Yeah. There used to be that show. I can't remember what channel it was on, uh, how the, the lottery ruined my life. Yeah. Most people, most people who win it, like it does mm-hmm. not bode well for them. Right. And it's crazy that they play it under the guise of like, this is going to save me from all my troubles. This is going to be the solution. Uh, in a sense, this is my salvation. Yeah. Which is weird because like, could be double-edged Lord, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, it could. but most people who don't have money get money, and like the people who've earned their way up to having a lot of money or whatever, like you learn the lessons along the way. Mm-hmm. So to like get the reward without the lessons, I think that that's anything in life. Oh yeah, yeah. Like that's where you end up screwing up because like no, this money could do a lot of good for you, but you don't know how to handle the thing and it just eat you alive. Plus, all of a sudden you have all these relatives. Like the heck, I'm yes. only kid. Like what's going on here? Yes, that's what I was gonna say too. I remember seeing one, and this guy was like. Because we announced it. I was on TV. People yeah. were coming in all over the place. And I was like, I didn't even know some of these people. I had to totally relocate my whole life to get away to from all this. Island. Yeah, to that private island. And, uh, and instead of being this glorious thing of good, it was like, this just jacked up everything. And, and I think for the most part, we have a tendency to look at things in life as this is going to change it. This will make it better. This is going to save everything yeah and like i joke about like oh pastor salary or whatever but it's the same for most people that i know but like christians included or especially christians because i'm around most of them most of the time mm-hmm. but like yeah we trust god with our salvation but yet when it comes to various things in our life it's just like okay well he'll, he's gonna provide that but whatever's going on in the meantime mm-hmm. like i need some extra help yeah. yeah like where what's going on there so all this talk about lotto, money, salvation, uh, really is just driving to a story that we're going to pick up with in Luke. I think it's chapter 2, and it's verses 21 through the rest. No, 40. 21 through 40. Yeah, which that covers quite a bit, but I think especially looking at this thing of like, does money save you? I think that's what we posed as the question yeah. on on the end of the last episode. So let me read a few verses. Oh, before you do that, and really going just for the obvious answer. Uh, no, uh, because as we talked about the lottery, how it's ruined lives, but then you, we've looked at, I, I really like that you brought that up. And I almost forgot I wanted to talk about that. The people who don't work their way up towards it, but just get it instantly and how mm-hmm. it just, they don't know what to do with it. They're not making the right investments. They're not putting in the right places. And then it's squandered in God. How many celebrities has that happened to? I mean, VH1 behind the music in the, 2000s and late 90s was popular because most of those stories were like these people were traveling the world and king of it yeah and they lost all their money and now they're construction workers somewhere uh, same thing with sports athletes is it's just like we go to these things to look for like this is the place that's going to solve all my problems and it doesn't if not makes them worse yeah all right now we can go to that passage now we can go yeah all right so 
When the eight days until his circumcision had passed, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. And when the time of purification, according to the law of Moses, was complete, his parents brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be consecrated to the Lord, and to offer the sacrifice specified in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Got to tell you right off the bat, that's a whole lot of stuff that means absolutely nothing today. <laughs> it really does. No, really. Yeah, I mean, yeah. do you say that to anybody? Yeah. Even most Christians, it's just like, yeah, I read that as part of the Christmas story mm-hmm. or slightly after the Christmas story, yeah. right? Just like, yeah, okay. Eight days after his circumcision, what's going on there? According to the time of purification, who's being purified? Is Jesus being purified? Right. And then like presenting him to the Lord, because that's written in the law that firstborn males need to be consecrated. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? And then now you have a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons, which going back to the Christmas, that's in the song, right? Mm-hmm. Some turtle doves. And a partridge in a pear tree. Yeah. No, this one's pigeons. Oh. Yeah. But there's turtle doves in the song. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's. I'm glad you brought it up that way because I've got to say, until I've had a, I studied for this episode, I think I've read that so many times that passage and just ran right through it. Yeah, like because like okay. you're making me flip back to the Exodus and Leviticus, mm-hmm. or even I've read those before, but also I do not re- recall mm-hmm. anything to do with this at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually pulled it up. It's Leviticus 12. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I have like the first chunk of, of it, and it it is exactly what they said. I mean, if anyone wants to go, I have it here. I could read it, but I don't think anyone wants to hear me stumble through all the words. But it is exactly what is happening here. It's uh, a woman becomes pregnant and gives birth to a son, will be ceremonially unclean for seven days, uh, just as she is during her monthly period. On the eighth day, the boy is to be circumcised. Like Jesus. Like Jesus. Um and then it goes down to uh, when the days of her purif- uh, of her purification for a son or daughter are over, she is to bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting a year old lamb for the burnt offering and a young pigeon or a dove for a sin offering. He shall offer them before the Lord to make atonement for her, which is a fun word to get into someday down the road. And then she'll be ceremonially clean from her flow of blood. These are the regulations for a woman who gives birth to a boy or a girl. But if she cannot afford a lamb, she is to bring two doves or two young pigeons, one for the burnt offering and one for the sin offering. And that's where we have this story at, which is really, really interesting. Again, that it's these little things of uh, here's the law presented in front of them. Mary and Joseph know the law. And what we're seeing again constantly from Luke in this kind of beginning sections of the parents is obedience, obedience, and obedience, even to the name of Jesus. Like there was, you know, the the family tradition that we talked about with John. Yeah. You know, this name was given to them. They didn't go back to name it after relatives or something like that. Uh, so they they named him. Well, I guess not Jesus. They named him. Are we do- <laughs> Haven't we done this before? Yeah, I think so. They named him Yeshua, which is yeah. Joshua, and, and Yeshua or Yahushua. Yeah, you throw the O in there. And I, I read, I read this, and I thought it was interesting because I never realized what or understood why we kept it Jesus. It was they used the Latin version. Yeah, Jesus. Right, and uh, that's Greek, I think. Uh, the Lat- Greek is Lesus, and then so they kept it so they could distinguish between Jesus and the other and the other, like Joshua mm. and all them. I read, I think it, in the Orthodox Bible, they said that in this portion where like the first time Jesus' name is mentioned, uh, that it's in all caps like Lord is in the Old Testament. Mm. So 
Interesting. Yeah, just this weird thing. But again, they're they're doing this circumcision thing, uh, and they're being obedient. Real quick, just you brought up the circumcision, but there's a couple of different things going on there. Um, because if you jump over to Exodus 13, one and two. Lord said to Moses, consecrate to me every firstborn male, the firstborn from every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, both of man and beast. So that's where you get um, that purification happening, mm-hmm. but then also the firstborn male being consecrated to the Lord. Right. That's drawing from both of those places. And yeah, which brings to, yes, Mary and Joseph are continuing on with who they have proven themselves to be. In obedience. And uh, even with the circumcision, that goes even back to Abraham. And that was like the Abraham covenant. Uh, One of the things I always found fascinating is as you go through the Bible, there are times of like uh, Old Testament, like the revivals of the Israelites. And then there seems to be all like, not always, but there seems to be these times of like, oh, now make sure everyone's circumcised. Like re, I I, want to say like Joshua, as they were going into uh, the promised land, it was like, make sure everyone's circumcised again. And really the idea is like this this obedience or this covenant that would make them Israelites. They they just stopped doing. Sorry, but th- th- there's a pretty big difference there. Uh, just think about within our culture, there was like, hey guys, you got to start going to church again. Yeah. And I was like, hey guys, take out a blade. <laughs> <laughs> like the buy-in yeah. is a little bit yeah, higher yeah, yeah, with yeah. what's going on. I could yeah. understand her like, do we do we need to follow through on this part? Like we can still come together, right? Mm-hmm. And man, just we're we're far stretch away from that. Like, do we need to get together? Yeah, yeah, right. It's yeah. Like, well, imagine what could be happening when you get together. Right. Exactly. So uh, that's all there. So they were obedient. They were faithful. They dedicated Jesus. Um, and then, as we looked at Mary and Joseph, uh, went for the purification thing. Mm-hmm. So this is after. This is. Uh, I would assume the way I read it is. Mary's purification. Yeah. So she's going to become uh, purified. And we see that they took two uh, pigeons. Yeah. Real quick, on that time of purification, I think, and you can correct me, but you've got the eight days to the circumcision. And then I think that you're out maybe another like 33 days after that. Yes. Part. There's all the timing. You can, Old Testament, you can read through that and get it's there. It's eight days and 33 days for a boy. Mm-hmm. And then it's two weeks and 66 days that they had a girl. Yeah. Which that... We're not going to dig into that right now, Chris. (laughs) This is the Leviticus podcast. Which, shout out, you want to get into Leviticus? One of the things that really, this has got me into appreciating the Bible a lot and understanding things in a new lens is the book of Leviticus. Michael Heiser, go to the Naked Bible podcast. Mm -hmm. Go to sort by oldest so that you aren't scrolling forever. And it's somewhere in the 30 to 60s range. He starts his Leviticus series. Read through Leviticus. Listen to Michael Heiser explain it. It will make sense as far as like, what does unclean mean? Mm-hmm. What does, what are all the sacrifices doing? What's going on here? That's a great starting point. It is probably about 30 episodes long. But if Leviticus has ever intimidated you, like, I love that book now. Not yeah. gonna go read it all the time, but now once you understand it, you're like, ah, okay. Mm-hmm. Anyways, that was just a shout out to, yeah, to that because yeah, that's yeah. anytime when I think Leviticus, I only think of like Michael Heiser teaching me through it. I'm like, that was that was good times. Yeah, because Leviticus is that. It's the scary book of confusion and what is killing it mean? everything. Yeah, and what does unclean and clean mean? What does it mean of 
for me today, even as a, a a Christian removed outside of that time frame, like how do I read Leviticus and it like makes sense for me in my life? Sometime in the near future, you want to talk about clean and unclean? I think so. Yeah, I think that'll be good to do. Yeah. So anyways, if back you don't to go this. do Heiser, we might touch on that soon. Uh, so they, they offer the... the pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And they offer that. And so that is what's, uh, what Luke here is telling us is that they were really, really, really dirt poor. Yeah. Because if you go back to what you had read, yeah. said, hey, bring a lamb and a turtle mm-hmm. dove. But if you're poor, you can't do the lamb. Just bring a second turtle dove. Mm-hmm. And we keep hitting this because this is, I think what Luke is trying to uh, get across at this beginning kind of scale is how our Savior entered the world and at what means and what he had and, and what they, was available was they, they were poor. You know, Nazareth was a pop-up community is what they would call them. They would uh, pop up and they would be there and, you know, people would work in trades and stuff like that within it. But it wasn't like your big city. That's why even mm. archaeologi- archaeologically, uh, it was, I don't think they found exactly Nazareth or it took them a long time to do that mm. because it wasn't your like Jerusalem, Capernaum, these all big, the walls and all yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> it was just like a, Pop up, kind of like if um, the Chosen mm-hmm. season three, where all the people just start making a tent community right, outside. Right, right. Like that's basically what was going on there. But in that, we're looking at like, does money save you? And you said no. And we can look at right here, just like the Savior being born to mm-hmm. people of very little means. But I think there's an interesting thing here, is that money doesn't save. And even in God's law, he's putting out there, hey, bring a lamb. But if you don't have that, bring a dove. There's not a, hey, I get it. You don't have much. Don't bring nothing. Mm, Yeah. So it's like money doesn't save, but there is a part of how we handle our material wealth, our material goods Mm -hmm. in response to God and what we're doing. Right. Like it's not saving us, but what, what am I trying to say? Like we need to, what am I trying to say? Obedience. Yeah, like we need to find the obedience yeah. or even find the means of just like, I'm dirt poor. I only have one turtle dove. It's just like, go find another one somehow. Yeah, I really like that because it is true that with, with our finances, it does come to a point where we struggle with, it becomes more mine than it was God's who gave it to me. Mm-hmm. And with with everything, he's always asking for us. It's It's not so much that he's asking us to give his money back to God. God doesn't need the money. God doesn't need the turtle doves for the sacrifice. Right. It's more of like, uh, what you have, has it started to take possession over you? Has it started to control you? I think I've said it in a message I gave, but like 16 out of the 30 parables Jesus spoke or that we have recorded in the Bible are about finances mm-hmm. and our material wealth. And it's never about um, giving everything away that you're so poor that you don't have anything at all. Right. But it's about how is this controlling you? How is this affecting your life and later on where you have jesus the one who's being consecrated here Mm -hmm. right and having that is that he will teach that your treasure is where your heart is right and when you're looking at in this scenario i've just given birth to a child god Mm -hmm. has blessed me with a with the child Mm -hmm. that's where my heart is right so let me take this treasure how much or little i have whether it's a lamb or a dove and show that this is important. Mm-hmm. I'm going to come and consecrate this child before God in a real and tangible way that this is costing me something. Right. Right. Going back to that thing of like uh, undeserved riches and lessons, right? Mm-hmm. They're like, no, no, no. This, like this is costing me. I've, 
I'm dedicating this in a real way. I'm dedicating this child in a real way. Right. Yeah. Which is important because it is this Im- uh, obedience factor. Or uh, I feel like when when we say obedience as Christians, it's sometimes looked at as like, oh, you mean following the rules. Right. And it can become like, what's the word? Um, not regulate, regulation. Yeah, I think that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just like very strict and rules like, and regulations, yeah, yeah, like you're just, you're always about the rules. Christianity is always about the rules and being obedient and this and that. And it's yes to one end of that spectrum. But like you could see this faithfulness from Jesus or Joseph and Mary isn't coming out of like, well, we got to go do this. This is right, right. begrudgingly obeying the law. It's not like me stopping at a stop sign when no cars are coming. I have to stop here because it's the law. I could clearly drive through it if I wanted to and nothing would happen to me unless there's a cop behind me. But it's the, I'm going to do it because I have to. This isn't that. This is two people whose hearts are Mm -hmm. God's. And we can see that by their lives and actions before this, that they were were obedient. And, And it wasn't because like begrudgingly, it was because they loved God. Yeah. And loving God, right? I think that's a good way that I try to think about obedience is it gives me an avenue to direct my love. Mm. If I say that I love God, like that can be so broad and like, what does that mean? But when it's coming from a love, then it's just like, oh, cool. Like, here's the direction that I can go in. And God doesn't have us do things for no reason. Mm -hmm. Right. So like, there's something going on here with sacrificing the doves and bringing that in, right? Just like there's something when it comes to being obedient to baptism, like to go and take the steps of, you can be like, well, I was saved when I just believed. I don't need to do that. It's just like, then why would Jesus ask you slash command you to be obedient to going and doing this thing? Like, it's not for no reason. Right. And I think that when you experience the obedience, you're experiencing the love because you're putting forth your side and then you're able to, it's, it's, um, what's the back and forth called? Reciprocal? Yes. Is that what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's how I, I tend to look at obedience, not just following the laws. It's just like, how do I channel? I'm saying that I love God. I want to love God. Mm-hmm. How do I channel this thing? It's like, oh, cool. Here's how to be obedient. Slash, you look at it from another way is how sneaky is rebellion in our hearts that the thought of just being an obedient person, something to like look down on or be like, why would right. you want to do that? Yeah. It's like, why would I be obedient to doing all good things? Mm-hmm. It seems like that should be obvious. Right. Like, no, I guess I would just want to be rebellious. Like, I don't want to submit. Right. And so this story kind of continues on. And we do look at two obedient people, like two really obedient people. So you want to go from 24 to, I think, at 35. We'll meet the first person. Meet the first person. All right. So there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. The Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Led by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and blessed God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother were amazed at what was spoken about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, Behold, this child is appointed to cause the rise and fall of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, 
so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your soul as well. That's a cryptic. Yeah, because there's a lot within this. There is a lot within that. That I'm going to try to at least go through, uh, hopefully, with good time so we could get to the second person. But uh, Simeon was a righteous and devout man um, and an old man. Uh, tradition says he was 113 years old. That's up there. That is. But again, it's only tradition. We don't know for sure. Uh, but again, just kind of like, why is this important? What note we're seeing hit from Luke at the beginning of his gospel is obedience, obedience, and obedience. And uh, what we're going to see later in the gospel is that there's a whole lot of corruption. There's Herod. There's the political corruption, there's the Romans, there's also spiritual corruption from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Things don't look great. Uh, but then you get uh, Simeon here and he displays him that even during these darker times that there are still faithful people, that God still has a faithful person at the temple waiting to see uh, the Messiah. Yeah, so a faithful person at the temple. Um, it's really interesting when I hear, when I see there that Oh, the Holy Spirit was upon him, mm -hmm. right? Because so far as in our series, what we've talked about so far, that's happened with, was the Holy Spirit on Zechariah? Zechariah. And John. In John. The and Mary. And Mary. So you see this. Oh, wait, wait. Maybe not Mary. Elizabeth. The Spirit filled Elizabeth and then she said, blessed. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's why we're looking at that as a prophecy. Mm -hmm. So you're seeing the actions of the Holy Spirit moving so much right here. When you look at like Old Testament stuff, towards like a prophet would have the old would have the Holy Spirit upon them, right, to mm -hmm. be prophesying things. So really, what you're looking at here is like the is the bridging of the worlds between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Oh, where like Simeon yeah. is an Old Testament prophet, yeah. right? Yeah. He's there, and the Holy Spirit is on him, and he's speaking forth these things of God because he's a righteous man and mm -hmm. a devout man, like you're saying. Um, so that's really cool. And as a bring up Zechariah. It's also mirroring what was going on with John when we looked at John being born. Is it here you have a servant of the temple oh, with the Holy Spirit yeah. who's speaking for something. Yeah. But an interesting distinction is that where you have Zechariah talking about what will be happening through John, mm -hmm. you have Simeon right here saying what's already happened. Here is the salvation. Oh. So, right? The other one's like, here's what John is going to go do. Mm -hmm. But right here is like, nah, here's salvation. Here it is. Fully complete and present. Yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah. Uh, the, the Holy Spirit upon him, too, which is interesting is because, like you're saying, the Old Testament, mm -hmm. it would just be like these moments, right? It would be uh, momentary uh, appearances where, like, Samson, where, like, the Spirit filled him, and then he would do his thing, and then, like, it was kind of like, it wasn't, like, upon him, like, on him and in him and indwelling in him, like, kind of what we see now of, of New Testament. I don't know. I, I, I was... Go back and forth on that, not to take mm -hmm. it off into there, because you have, like, the spirit was obviously on Samson because he didn't realize when it left. So, like, oh, it yeah, was with yeah. him even there. And then when I think back of, like, Saul. That's the next person I was going to bring So, like, up. Yeah. Saul, like, Holy Spirit comes on him and he just starts prophesying with mm -hmm. all the other people. Like, what? Even this guy is a prophet? Like, what's going on here? It's so, like, I, Holy Spirit in the Old Testament is an interesting study to get into as far right. as, like, yeah, definitely it would from what I can tell, always upon people, but the indwelling of the Spirit. Right. That's a that, different that, thing. That the, the Holy Spirit ab abiding in them. Yeah. yeah. That's that's some new covenant stuff that we get to look forward to. Yeah. that That's yeah. where I was trying to, that's why I liked when you said it made that bridge and here is that like, here's that person who's like the connector from that 
to mm-hmm. to this. Uh, one of the other things that always confused me was the consolation of Israel. Yeah, where'd you come up with that? Uh, so that was always like, <laughs> I feel so dumb because uh, I would just think stars. That's constellation. Yes, that's why I felt dumb. <laughs> and I'm letting everybody know that sometimes words are confusing to me. Um, There's extra letters in there. <laughs> uh, but when I when I understood this well, it was uh, talking about this uh, phrase is used in the Bible to call us uh, call to attention uh, the Jewish hope of the coming Messiah. Uh, the Jews themselves uh, were in bondage. They were in times of exile and now oppressed under a heavy burden of Rome. Uh, so they were looking for release from their suffering. Uh, so uh, it's people who express consistent grief and frustration and pain who want to be consoled. And then I understood it as like, uh, he was looking for the what's going to help Israel feel better through the pain, what's going to console them through the pain of it all. And 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 it made more sense to me because I was like, what do stars have to do with this? Sorry, just when you're talking about consolation, I, I looked it up in the interlinear and it's periclesis, which looking at some word study, a personal exhortation that delivers the evidence that stands up in God's court. Uh, it's an intimate call that someone personally gives to deliver God's verdict. Uh, that is the close call that reveals how the Lord weighs in the relevant facts or evidence. So like oh, yeah, yeah. The consolation. So, yeah, he's just like, I'm waiting for what God is going to weigh in on this situation. On this situation, And even yeah. how you're talking about the Messiah coming, that's definitely in there because, yeah, it was the Holy Spirit revealed, hey, you're not going to die until mm-hmm. this one comes. So all of that coming together. But interesting thing there is like paraclesis. I'm like, huh, that's like the same root as the paraclete, which is the Holy Spirit, who's yes. the one who comes to console and to bring comfort, because comfort is also in their consolation and, and comfort mm-hmm. is what you were talking about kind of there as well. So it's interesting that he's waiting for that, and then you have Jesus coming, and then Jesus later on will be like, hey, I'm going to send the other one is much better even there, yeah. like the real consolation and comfort. It's all, it's all just unraveling. Is That's why I said there's a lot. Unwinding, unpeeling, un... It's all coming together. He's yes. So, <laughs> so uh, Simeon sees Jesus, sees the baby, grabs the baby, and uh, he bursts into song, which is like, I don't know if Luke was writing a musical or <laughs> what, because like nowhere in real life do people just burst out in songs. But so far, we've had five of them. I just, Delilah's sister spent the night last night uh-huh. and just randomly, she brought up that musical that just came out, Journey to Bethlehem. Mm-hmm. Do you know anything about mm-hmm. that? It's about like Joseph and Mary and the birth. So it's like this situation, yeah. but it's a musical. Ah. And I had heard that just like, uh, it's kind of iffy, kind of whatever. But she wanted to watch him. Like, yeah, I'm down to watch it. I enjoyed that movie far too much. <laughs> uh, you have, uh, what's the dude that does Puss in Boots? Antonio Banderas? Oh, Antonio Banderas, yeah. He plays King Herod. Ah. He does a great job. And anyways, it's right. just the music and all this stuff yeah. is, just, is really, I don't know, just when you talk about writing a musical. I was like, I just watched one of those and like, is it fully biblical? No. Did I enjoy it? Absolutely. But it is kind of biblical because yeah. apparently people just burst out in songs in the middle of nowhere. Uh, Warren Wiersbe called it the fifth and the last of the Christmas songs in Luke. Hmm. So we have Elizabeth, Mary, Zechariah, the angels, and now uh, this one. Uh, but it's also known as Now Depart. And I gave the English translation of it because I wasn't going to even try with the Greek. Why would why would anybody? We, yeah. we speak English here. <laughs> it just all. I think it would probably sound cooler. I mean, it looks cooler when I'm looking at the letters. Yeah, if you're a Greek. Yeah, uh, but the opening line for it is "Lord, 
And I read this that said it's not one usually used in the New Testament. Uh, the meaning here is someone with absolute power over someone else. So Simeon addressing God in this way indicates his total allegiance and total submission to the authority of God, uh, which you kind of see here is like that obedience. I'm going to be here in this temple until the Messiah comes. Um, and then he starts praising God, which is kind of the same theme of all these Christmas songs is that he's praising God uh, for keeping his promise and sending the Messiah, but he's also praising God for allowing him to see the Messiah. And the interesting part I had was, for my eyes have seen your salvation. The word uh, depart in the Greek has several meanings, and each of them telling us something about uh, our, the death of a Christian. So uh, this word, now I can depart, when he says I've mm -hmm. seen and now I can depart, it means to release a prisoner, to untie a ship and set sail, it, these are meanings of it, and it could also mean to take down a tent and to unyoke a beast of a burden. So God's people, when we die, aren't afraid of death because it frees us from the burdens of this life, leading us into the blessing of the next life. Hmm. There, I, there's so much that you could just go yeah. off of that, and I've just always have read it and just kind of went through it. How are you talking about bringing that? That's really cool. I like that. And there's too much. We could probably do a mini series just on this. Like it's pretty mm -hmm. cool. Um, but you brought up his response of bringing glory to God. That's what's been happening all the way along is you have promise, fulfillment, praise. Mm -hmm. And with these songs, like that's what keeps happening. You have, get the promise. So Gabriel coming down, there's a promise, right? right? Gabriel coming down, there's a promise. Then there's the fulfillment. And when the fulfillment of the promise comes, then there's praise. So here it wasn't Gabriel coming and giving the promise, but the Holy Spirit, you know, had made this. So the fulfillment comes, Hey, I'm, I'm holding salvation and then comes into praise and I just think that's an interesting pattern. How you're talking about, oh, he's writing a musical, but it's mm -hmm. like, here's the format behind that even. Yeah. That, that I picked up on. That's pretty cool. And then the, the best part of this promise and fulfillment is uh, the salvation going out to the Gentiles. Mm -hmm. This light for the Gentiles. Uh, Jesus would be that for, for not just the restoration of Israel, but a light to the Gentiles. And this is where you can see that this guy really got it and that the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. was upon him. Because where so many of the other like religious leaders, you know, later on in Jesus' life, when you get to that point, they were all about like, no, Israel and like, we need to overthrow and do all this stuff. Like right here, he's like, I'm holding salvation and it's for the Gentiles and for Israel. Yeah. And just that was God breathed even right there from the very beginning. Yeah. He's just marrying the two together. And I, I always feel like it was the bigger promise of God was... Israelites, you're my chosen people. You're going to the promised land. And then from there, you're going to be a light to the nations. Yeah, yeah, that's what it's supposed to be. In. And, we, and we'll get into this, that how many Gentiles end up becoming Israelites um, and end up even being in Jesus' own family line. Mm -hmm. uh, but it, because it was this bringing in and where Israel, in a sense, as a nation failed, now you have the Savior who's going to be an Israelite who's going to bring that light and bring the Gentiles in. It's what made Paul's mission and journey so uh, important. Yep. So we have Luke writing this, who then writes Acts, who's Paul's traveling buddy. And you can see where Luke is just like, hey, this was the importance of it. This is why I'm writing this to all you people. Um, the song is done. And then Simeon says, this child will cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. And uh, a paradoxal statement uh, and very confusing when you kind of read it, right? Like, well, what does this mean? 
Um, and, and really it's this idea uh, that with Christ, there's no neutral. Mm-hmm. You, you have to pick one or the other. And when a person encounters Christ, he's either for him or against him. He either trips over him or is established in him, uh, which fulfills this prophecy that we have to pick a side. Like that's really what we've talked about so much on the show is that there's two ways. And here again is that two-way example. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have the word, I, I like this, the word sign. And I never caught this um, in there. It means a miracle. So it's not like, where is it at where he says? And to be a sign that will be spoken against so that many hearts will be revealed. Um, so it's called, a, uh, the sign is uh, means miracle. And it's not so much a demonstration of power, but a revelation of divine truth. Um, and then you look at the gospel of John. And uh, John's gospel doesn't say um, miracles. Signs? It says signs. Signs and wonders? Because they were revealing a special truth about who Jesus was. They were revealing who Jesus was. So he'll be that sign uh, in there. And then we have finally what he says to Mary, that a sword will pierce your life as well. And then again, looking at Simeon as a prophet, he's prophesying uh, about the crucifixion, the four kind of foretelling the moment in Mary's life where she'll see her son be executed and go through all that pain and it will pierce him. Um, While we've talked about Mary being like the most blessed woman and her importance and her role in Jesus's life, uh, that privilege comes with the responsibility and the difficulty of being the mother of God and seeing what was going to happen. This I found interesting too. It said the Greek word means a large sword such as Goliath used. And the verb means constantly keeping on piercing. So it wasn't going to be like a singular moment of pain, but it was going to be something continuously. That would be quite quite the path to walk for, for Mary. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, I like how we've slowed down going through some of this and really, for all that we've really looked yeah. at, re- like we've looked at mostly just people mm-hmm. and really looking at who are these people and what's going on and how is God working through them and stuff has been, I've liked it. It's interesting for me looking at these songs and even what's been happening when the person of uh, Simeon, right? Mm-hmm. So it's bringing up his character. So he's just saying righteous and devout, really setting him up and what God's doing here. But when you get the song, even when he turns to speak to Mary, like it's all about Jesus. Mm-hmm. Like he's turning to talk to Mary, but he's yeah. talking about Jesus. Right. So just everything right here is just pointing to Jesus. Salvation. I really like uh, to kind of sum up the Simeon part of it before we go on to the next person. Uh, I really like R.C. Sproul's. I'm not I'm not going to read it, but I'll just paraphrase what he wrote in his commentary. He kind of uh, stopped giving notes and made it more personal. Mm-hmm. And he just painted this picture of like, imagine being this old man going every day to the temple every day. And he would look around the temple and people would say like, well, what are you doing here? Uh, what are you looking for? And Every day he's just doing this and he would go in there and check and then nothing and go home disappointed day after day after day after day after day. At what point do you stop, right? Mm-hmm. At what point do you like, I don't, I just, I don't know if this is going to happen, but that obedient, that faithfulness that we had talked about in the beginning kept pushing him. And then one day he sees the baby and it's two turtle doves, you know, this poverty right. stricken people and the spirit is like, that's it. That's the one. Your faithfulness and obedience. Uh, we we look at his his statement of, as you have promised, mm-hmm. but Simeon doesn't get the promise if he's not obedient. 
he doesn't see it. He doesn't, he doesn't get that now depart in kind of that freedom sense. He had to be obedient to do it. And I really liked how R.C. Sproul painted that picture. Yeah. And that's a theme, again, not to keep hammering it, but with everybody that we've seen so far mm-hmm. and their righteousness and their holiness and, and, you know, God coming to them and these interactions has just been, yeah, their obedience and mm-hmm. their follow through on stuff. Um, I just like how you brought up here they're coming with the two turtle doves is because here you have this guy. He's in the temple all the time. Mm-hmm. So he's all kinds of, like, I don't know if I'm sitting there thinking like the Messiah is going to come. I'm probably, as we've talked about, like what people's common thoughts were going to be. Right. I'm probably thinking as well, like, cool, the king is coming mm-hmm. and having that. So even that to have, here comes Mary and Joseph with the two turtle doves. And he goes, my eyes have seen your salvation. Mm-hmm. He's saying right there, no, money doesn't, money doesn't save you. Yeah. Right. He's not even concerned with any of that. He's just seeing Jesus and going, here is salvation. Yeah. Because you could think about it like looking How's the Messiah going to come? Oh, maybe it's that that full-grown adult man. Oh, yeah. You know, who's dressed in all, decorated out, like looking like a king. Wait, that's not it? Kind of like what we were talking about, like David, mm-hmm. right? And gosh, I guess, I wonder if Luke was paralleling this in a way where like the older brother looked great and amazing and God was like, no, not him. And then the other one looked just as great. And then you go, where you go find the next king? It's the lowly shepherd boy who's... Like not even considered to be brought inside the house by his parents. And that's the same thing happening with looking for Jesus here. It's like, it could have been that person. Maybe it's that family holding that baby and they look rich and wealthy. Right. Oh no, it's the people coming with the two turtle doves and to be, allow the spirit to speak to your life enough to distinguish that and override what you're thinking and knowing. That's crazy. And that wasn't part of my notes. That's just like us coming together and talking. Yeah, no. I, I want to get to the next person. Okay. But just on that thing of letting the Holy Spirit talk to you, like that is in the book of James about not showing partiality. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, yeah. cool. You're finally dressed and come over here and like, let me treat you different because you'll miss things yes. like this. Yeah. Right. Anyways, let's get on. All right. Go ahead. Read the next portion of, of it. I think it's what, 36 to the end? I'm going to read 40? through 40? Yeah. Okay. There was also a prophetess named Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, who was well along in years. She had been married for seven years and then was a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming forward at that moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. When Jesus' parents had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. Yeah, so now steps up Anna, which is a name game again. Her name means grace. And she was a godly widow. Uh, of the 12 widows mentioned in the Bible, Luke has three of them. Hmm. Again, kind of touching back what we talked about uh, in the previous, a few previous episodes about Luke really looking out for the poor, looking out for the widow, uh, in his gospel, the compassion of that, and even women in mm-hmm. general. Uh, Anna was a prophetess, which uh, the other ones in scripture were Miriam, Deborah, uh, Huldah, Noadai, and the wife of Isaiah, and then eventually Philip's daughters. There were four prophetess. Um, and then the interesting thing to me that caught my eye this time, and it never has before, the tribe of Asher. Mm-hmm. It, it, correct me if I'm wrong here, uh, Asher was one of the like so-called lost 
10 tribes of Israel, right? Uh, when the Northern Kingdom was conquered by the Assyrians, and then they just blended all the people in there and just started bringing in people. Um, like Asher's part of that. They weren't part of the the uh, Judah right, right. sect. Yeah, I think so. So like you never really hear like people getting pointed back to uh, what tribe in the New Testament so much other than Jesus, like we're pointing back to Judah, David's line. Uh, so it, it not much out of that other than it was just really interesting that they brought it up. I even went to like look at uh, what was Moses's prophecy about the tribe of Asher mm-hmm. and uh, Jacob's to see if there was something that would point back to was like, there? there wasn't. Uh, I was really hoping I, there was I, something I, cool though. <laughs> I was waiting. For, as soon as you pointed out, I was like, I completely yeah. skipped over that. I didn't even like draw that out. So I was really hoping. The that other thing them. I might have to look into and, and maybe down the road would be um, uh, the Testament of the 12 mm. to see if there's something in there from Asher, but n- no. Real quick, just because you're talking about Testament of the 12, right? And looking at Asher, Simeon was one of the tribes, mm-hmm. right? Simeon was also the name of the prophet. Yes. That was just speaking, the, the man of the temple. And when he said baby name game, I was like, oh, we didn't do his. Guess what Simeon means? He who hears. Ah, that makes a lot of sense. Which wow. is not like he was just randomly named that, right? Like mm-hmm. that was a, one of the tribes mm-hmm. named after Simeon, the original guy, right? So then here you have Simeon here, he who hears, and he's hearing the Holy Spirit. And also God is hearing his requests. Very cool. Yeah. Really, really cool. But we have Anna, and we're, what's she doing? She is in the temple, same thing, worshiping God. When you look at never leaving the temple, if you figure back then people were married, maybe married around 14 years old, mm-hmm. right? Is that a, maybe fair? Yeah, yeah. Even if you were to say like 16. Yeah. Even you said 18. Say it was later, right? Let's just go with the latest date. 18. She was married for seven. And she's 25. She was a widow till she was 84. That's a lot of years being in the temple. 59 years. One thing that's even crazier is I read some interpretations of that could mean uh, this after the seven years plus 84. Like adding those years on more, like just the way that uh, some places have it phrased. Like it could mean uh, she was 84 or it was 84 more years. Oh. So like right. even longer than than what we kind of calculated at the long end. But in the temple and and worshiping God by praying and fasting. Again, kind of this, if you're looking for our salvation, how are you going to go about it? And, and she went about it by worshiping and fasting. And I like it says, uh, like, it's while this was all happening, she just like sees all this and like, this is it, and runs in there. I could just imagine like sh- she just... Uh, Simeon's holding the baby and she just interrupts and is like, I need to see this too. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been praying and fasting and God's like revealing that this is. wonder if they were buddies. Yeah, I wonder. Because you imagine like both of them in the temple all the time. Uh, I did read this, that the outside of the temple was big, mm-hmm. but inside was small enough that if people were walking around, you would see them and, and recognize it. But uh, I mean, you figure she's there for like 84 years. <laughs> yeah. And he's been there for a long time going in day and night. So. Uh, but just, again, these two people who were obedient to God, who were looking for salvation, um, and, and we talk about, like, the poverty of it all. Like, obviously, if you're going to the temple day and night or you're living there, your your means isn't yeah. the greatest. So they wouldn't, weren't putting their trust trust in the financial wealth or what the world would tell them was the way to do it. 
uh, they were going to the right place with the right heart looking for the right thing and they found it. I think a lot of times our quest for discovering a savior uh, takes us on very selfish motives or directions. I could do it by this, like you were saying earlier, I could trust God with my salvation, but I can, can I trust him with the day to day? And here we just see this great picture of two people who are trusting God, not only with their salva- finding salvation, but with their day-to-day life. Well, it's because we can get into our minds like what we think salvation is supposed to look like. Just like they did. Like they, a lot of people were looking, like we talked about, for the conquering Roman Messiah, uh, who was just going to conquer Rome and then rebuild David's kingdom, and that was it. Life on this earth, happiness, that was their salvation. Well, the bigger picture was being said of like, this is salvation for this life and the life after. Yeah, just how you're talking about the, in the daily. So you have Simeon, super old man, according to tradition. Mm -hmm. And he's obviously about to die. So he's like, now I can be dismissed. So it's like salvation. Isn't that such an interesting word to use there? Mm -hmm. Because it wasn't like he had any more life to live really. Right, right, yeah. He just witnessed like, no, here's God's salvation. And in that knowing that like, that salvation is also going to apply to me seeing the bigger picture, mm-hmm. right? And I feel like same thing with Anna. You have this old woman who's been a widow her whole life, and God is just there with her. And like, what does salvation look right? Going mm-hmm. into like our twenty twenty four mindset, right? Like salvation should look like all of these things coming into my life and every blessing, every everything. It's just like, I doubt that she stopped being a widow at that point. Mm-hmm. I doubt that she stopped being at the temple at that point. Like salvation is Jesus in and of himself. And that's enough for these people. Right. And I think that that's the thing. It's just like, oh, does money save you? It's like money can do a lot of things. But when we're looking at salvation, it's just like for Jesus to be enough in and of himself. And when we see that what that actually means, it's just like, yeah, way more than enough. Right. I, I like how N.T. Wright, he, he uh, kind of summed up this section. He said, perhaps it's challenging you to reflect on what you should be praying for in your lifetime, mm-hmm. uh, on the things you long to see happen in God's world uh, or in your own family, which you would go on waiting and hoping for and trusting that God will let you see. Perhaps it's more personal about something in your lo- own life, here and now, which you want to bring, uh, which you want to bring to the temple into God's presence for His blessing, something about which you need to hear or a wisdom or word or confirmation. I just like how he. Mm-hmm. S- Turn that all into like a reflection for us. Yeah, it's like, what are you going to pray for? What are you seeking after? What are you hoping to see? Um, for them, they were hoping to see the Messiah, salvation, right? That's what Messiah is, the Savior. Um, and for for us, are we looking to see the Savior? Mm-hmm. Are we looking to find Him in our life, or is that what we're mainly praying for? Or are we going to God with our checklist? I need this. I need that. God, I need more money because I need to pay the bills. The economy, God, uh, you know, this president, he's ruining everything. We need more money. Are you going for those reasons or are you going with this list of like, I just want to know and pray and see you more? And for me, that's the whole reason why we landed on this series mm-hmm. of like discovering a savior. Yeah. It's like out of all things, he's who we should be seeking out. Right. Yeah. I, I do want to touch on 39 and 40. That's all I have for like the big episode. Yeah, this yeah. is kind of like a, a, a small nugget. This is like bonus content. Uh, Luke does something really different here. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he fills in the gaps of so many things in his gospel. 
uh, he gives us more information about Jesus' birth than any of the writers. And then here he skips over the Magi. There's no mention of Herod trying to kill the kids under three. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's nothing about the flight to Egypt. Mm-hmm. It's just Luke seems very content to sum it all up with, and the child grew and became strong, was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Um, which was crazy to me that we get so much detail in the beginning half and we'll get a little bit more of of young Jesus, but everything else in between was like just it's left dark. Um, and in church history, that's why we end up with the Gospel of Thomas or the Gospel of Peter, uh, which are considered fake and weird uh, because in weird. The, <laughs> there's a lot of writings. I looked into this. Uh, this is why I went with weird. Uh, they tell stories of like Jesus being lonely and he makes birds out of clay. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, makes them real so he has someone to talk to. Or like he's really annoyed at these kids and he uses these his powers to like just get rid of them. Um, and that's not our savior. So that's why they're weird and fake. Uh, but, you know, all these things are left dark. And what Luke found to be important was to mention uh, he was uh, he became strong, filled with wisdom and the grace of God. And I think that last part is probably what's important to me is that grace of God is what filled him with the compassion to go out and do the ministry he did. The task was not easy. It was difficult. Uh, I I really do like in some ways, I I guess because I just watched The Chosen, so I'm going to talk about it a little bit more and we're talking about Jesus. Uh, But I do like some of the ways they portray the conflict. Like there's this one scene where he's going into uh, Jerusalem and there's people being crucified. And he just looks at it and you see the anguish and you see the pain. Um, and it was God's grace that drove him through the whole way. Bonus content. Yeah, for me, those last couple, just when Jesus' parents had done everything required by the law of the Lord. Luke just keeps highlighting that. Um, he grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. Just to circle back around to his parents were faithful. God's grace was on him and he grew in wisdom. They came with two turtle doves and that was enough. But they were obedient to come with two turtle doves and that was enough. Mm. So I think that for all of us, I mean, I think living in America, there can be so many conflicting things about what what status and what okay looks like and what anything else. And just like to be able to come before God and realize if I come and I do what he's requiring of me, which God obviously makes the allowances for like, hey, I, I know people who don't have mm-hmm. and I'm bringing you in close to me as well. But just knowing like, oh, if we're obedient in that, we can grow in wisdom and grace. Yeah, I like that. Like, you know, that's where Jesus being the firstborn of many, that mm-hmm. he is our our brother, right? We come into the family. It's like, I brought up partiality earlier in James, like God's not, doesn't show partiality. Like he loves us. Mm -hmm. So I think just there of like being able to, obviously there's still stresses. Yeah. Right. When, when money is, is uh, low and different things like that, I'm not like, obviously money buys food and other things can happen. But uh, I think that if we can find ourselves in the position of this is to be obedient to God Mm -hmm. and trust in his salvation. Yeah. His salvation isn't just for, when we die and go to heaven, but his salvation is very real for right here, right now. Um, kind of if we can let go a bit mm-hmm. of our needing to buy the lotto to fix things. 
and just let, see what he does. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. All right, what's on the dockets for the next episode? That's kind of funny you asking me that because I'm just like, yeah, things can get stressful. Like mm-hmm. when, when funds are lower, even when funds are lower, different things, and you're just like, okay, God, where are you? Yeah. Uh, next week, I think, taking a look at anxiety when you can't find God. Oh, I thought we were just going to look at anxiety in itself. I'm like, oh, I've got a lot of that. <laughs> yeah, it'll be a monologue. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I won't show up. I'll just put a little dummy with the headphones <laughs> yeah. on it sitting across from you. Yeah. I could take care of that episode. No, but really looking at that, just like when you can't find God. Yeah. And I think that in all of these things, as we're looking at all of these people seeking after God and just God mm-hmm. keeping his promise and everything. Yeah, it can be pretty a pretty anxiety-ridden time to be like, okay, well, I believe that you're real, but boy, I can't find you right now. So I'm Chris. I'm Yurdluk. We are your church friends. Thanks for listening. Wow.